us another summer with Mad Bobby Grossman. Gentlemen, I salute you. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with conscientious food fight objector, Jeb Lund. Hello, Jeb. Hello. So, yeah. Before we begin, today's topic is GORP, or as I suppose we're meant to refer to it, G-O-R-P. Mm-hmm. That's granola, ortolan, radicchio, and pork? Correct. Yeah, there's like apparently some dispute as to what GORP actually stands for. I didn't realize it was an initialist term. I thought it was just GORP. Like, it kind of looks like that's how it would sound. Anyway, we are about to address this non-fine film. But first, a little pod business. Um, First of all, I have, as of this writing, still not been able to make the time to listen to the Denissance podcast. Other things I've been doing include (laughs) cleaning the toilet. So, not eager. Um, Have you sampled this yet, Jeb? I, you know, I did not know it was going to be on an assignment. It's sort of like when you get back from the summer and you're like, we were supposed to read what books over the, yeah. Oh, uh, no, no, it wasn't an assignment. I was just wondering if you had, in an attempt to avoid a a more unpleasant chore than that, had sat down with it. I think like everybody else, the big gag for me for the quarantine is, is like, well, you have these things you no longer have to do. So ostensibly you would have all that time free, but no, no, I don't. If my lawn got twice as big, I would have time, I think, for the Denissance podcast. But I mm-hmm. I just have time for, you know, the new Extra Hot Great. And okay. uh, Blotter Presents every week. And, you know, sometimes I like to listen back to my own. But that's that's it. You know, it's a tiny yard. <laughs> yeah. It's not a lot to mow. You you already got this. You already got this gig. You know that, right? <laughs> um, speaking of the Extra Hot Great averse. I am going to make reference to something that frequently happens during a particularly horrendous or dull episode of Beverly Hills 90210 or Melrose Place on one of our cousin podcasts. Again, with this, to wit, Tara and I are like, well, this will be a short one. This sucked. An hour and 10 minutes later, we're still talking. (laughs) So I think this could go either way because I despised Gorp but not in like a multifarious way. So where would you where would you put the over under at the time of this discussion? I think I can do a good 20. So I'd say about 51 minutes, something like that. Okay. I'm going to take the well under because I feel like okay. this is going to be 9 or it's going to be 90 and there's not kind of going to be that squishy okay. documentary short that's actually 48 minutes thing. But I guess we'll see. Let us begin the getting of it over with, with the plot summary. GORP, which is alleged to stand for good old raisins and peanuts. um, Or I may stipulate here, granola, oats, raisins, and peanuts. That's just fucking granola then. Right. Or granola with peanuts. So that would be GWIP. I live in a country where we say ATM machine. I'm okay with acronymic redundancy. Mm, I'm not okay with any of those things. Mm. I also feel like there was like a Chiron, I think, about this. That's like, so this is an anthropological study of the summer camp film. Like, is that is that what we're doing? It is not, listener. Gorp was released 40 years ago this month and is, per the IMDb, quote, a slapstick comedy 
we'll see, about the wacky antics uh-huh, of a group of waiters at a Jewish uh-huh, summer camp in upstate New York, end quote. This film appears to have been one of many extremely misguided attempts to capitalize on the popularity of frat farce fare like Animal House and Meatballs. Mm-hmm. It also gave me unwanted flashbacks to King Frat, which was like the Canadian Animal House, so Animal House, which ended up in snippets on my long-ago public access show, Moist Towelette. I will not be taking questions on that at this time. Other, quote, stars of Gorp, besides Dennis Quaid, include Fran Drescher, from whom we will hear later, John Kelly Taylor's dad, Riley, also known as Sean Donnelly from General Hospital, David the Big Lebowski Huddleston as the camp director, hey, it's that constrained lawyer, Philip Kasnov of Strong Medicine, and Otis Day as one of several absolutely horrifically unacceptable stereotypes. Other characters are named things like Batshit, Fat Solowitz, Zitz mm-hmm. McGuire, Lobster Newberg, and Dracula Kesselman, about whom I would really like to see a documentary. Toot sweet. Gotta say, Dracula Kesselman is pretty insensitive to Romanians. Yep, Porphyrian Americans. That's pretty offensive <laughs> to them as well. But Dracula Kesselman is like the one thing about this movie that I found even a little compelling because this kink, like you see him in the opening scenes and he already has like the Dracula widow's peak drawn on with shoe polish, but then he's wearing like a ringer tee and flares like everyone else. Yeah. Except Dennis Quaid, who's in fatigues, more on this in a moment. But like Kesselman is like increasingly Dracula in the background of every scene, but I don't think he gets any lines and nobody says anything about this. And I kind of like it. Yeah, there's a lot of the things in this movie that I'm like, I kind of like this. And there's a lot of things that I think if somebody had hit a relay on the track and diverted it to a slightly different tone, there's huge chunks of it that would have worked a lot better. And that was one. But uh, I don't don't really know what, what Newberg's arc is but i just want to say consider the lobster newberg okay i'm done (laughs) do you want to say that you sure we can cut it out take it back (laughs) okay i mean i I have to wonder if the creators of wet hot american summer ever saw this and took like two things from it i would say that they watched it a lot and they took i would say two-thirds of their movie from it huh having watched it a lot like there are so like Michael Showalter's character in Wet Hot takes his entire like appearance from a background character in this, who you see like the the um, Fran Drescher character. I can't remember who the the character is supposed to be. Kind of like a manke of that in Wet Hot, but there's so much taken from. Oh it. yeah, Katie, I think her name is in yeah. Wet Hot. Is she the one who um, the end Showalter is like like they're in love, and she's like, well, I'd rather fuck Paul Rudd. So bye. Yeah, her. And then the sensitive boy in this who goes and delivers messages for the two meatheads to that girl seems to be very much like the Showalter character, except if you expanded the arc of this kid from Gorp, that's the arc that you would get in Wet Hot is Showalter's. Uh, yeah. And I think there's also, I mean, there's like multiple variations on the kid who lives entirely in a toilet stall. And yeah. As the movie is going on, he is increasingly like the number of appurtenances and the permanence of this stall. Yep. 
have increased, and then by the climactic tank fight, uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's like putting out fires with toothpaste, completely unconcerned. He has a shower cap over his headgear. It's, I mean, charming is really pushing it, but in this movie, you cling to what there is. But I also think the wet hot guys were like, you know, that's a really great joke, but it's a little too gross for people. So let's just take him out of the bathroom stall. And where would he be locked up? Okay, he's the radio guy. Yes, he is absolutely the radio guy. It's the exact same arc. It's just a cleaned up joke. I also kind of respect that this guy, that the movie respects this guy. Mm -hmm. Occasionally they're like, have you seen my watch? No? All right, bye. Like, no one questions that this is what he does. Like, he works there, apparently, but he's like Beaker slash the radio guy from Wet Hot American Summer, and he's just in the stall. I respect him because he's like one of three characters who's not trying to rape somebody. There is that. You've hit on a a sticking point. (laughs) (laughs) It, it, It is. It is a skosh problematic. Should we do the trigger warning here? It's about time for us to do that. But first, let me note, wrapping up this rogues gallery, is Dennis Quaid as Mad Bob Grossman, who, in addition to very clearly suffering from some kind of diagnosable mental illness involving military paranoid delusions, is about as Jewish as Rose Kennedy. But yeah. here we all are in the quote cat quote skills. So, yeah, the trigger warning list will probably last longer than the actual movie, which is an hour and 29, but Jeb, go off. I know, like, a lot of stuff on IMDb is essentially just user-submitted, and so, like, (laughs) what you see is not necessarily reflective of the importance of it within the movie, but just looking at the plot keywords tags on IMDb. Oh my god, I didn't even look at those. There's like there's like 370, but the the ones that you see before the click to see the rest are simply Jew, female rapist, female sex abuser, sexually abused man, and woman abuses man. And I feel like the last two were just sort of added by somebody who wants to keep America great, like and just sort of balance out. Like, well, actually, it's you know everybody here's a rapist, and I don't really think that's true. No. Also, there's a character called Injun Joe. Who does a war dance. If anyone is looking to do a film master's thesis on um, no fat chicksing in the cinema of 1980, Mm -hmm. behold, exhibits A through L. The character that Otis Day is playing, this poor man. And if I am not incorrect i've never seen revenge of the nerds i've never seen any of them the whole way through but i think this character was basically snipped out and dropped into revenge of the nerds played by a different dude it wouldn't surprise me to see that continuity i haven't seen revenge of the nerds since before it would have been very urgent in my life to see breasts so it's been a (laughs) it's been a while like i think moonlighting was still on yeah that sounds about right i think that was around the time that HBO's airing all two or three to date, nonstop. Yeah. As I mentioned, this is part of that post Meatballs and post Animal House lane of films that didn't understand what was good about those movies. Like, I don't particularly need to see either of those ever again. 
but they did do things with some purpose versus just yelling. So when you look at the contemporary reviews, Rotten Tomatoes had a snippet of the Boston Globe's contemporary review, and I wish I'd been able to read the whole thing, but it, among other things, clucked about how raunchy it was, which is like, all right, that alone is not the problem. Mm -hmm. Like, we see Dennis Quaid's ass. I'm not complaining about that. It's also been reviewed more recently by Matt Brunson of Creative Loafing, who scythed it with one star out of four, which is generous in my opinion. Quote, Gorp emerges as one of the worst of all pretenders to Animal House, although to be fair, its inspiration was probably the 1979 Bill Murray comedy Meatballs as much as the John Belushi campus classic. The primary characters are a group of insufferable camp counselors who spend their time leering at girls, masturbating incessantly, and annoying the camp's unscrupulous owner. Witless and puerile on every conceivable level, this offered early roles to Dennis Quaid, terrible, Fran Drescher, passable, and Rosanna Arquette, negligible. End quote. I don't think Dennis Quaid is that terrible in context, but we'll get back to him. TV Guide's take is undated and yet timeless. Quote, a summer camp comedy in the meatballs vein, Gorp bombards viewers with an endless barrage of inane jokes involving drugs, sex, and racism, none of which, as you might have guessed, is even remotely funny. Tasteless. End quote. Yeah, that's about it. There was another more contemporary to us review that talked about how the whole movie is shouted at us. And I think that's about right. It's terrible. And eventually I just sort of shut down because they don't, they don't understand like the rhythms of a camp movie. Not camp, obviously, in the Sontag sense, like camp. Mm -hmm. It's like there's no sense of time passing. There's no sense of this world actually being inhabited by anyone except actors. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing to want. I agree with all of that. And like all of that seems like a perfectly valid interpretation to me. And I'm, I'm not going to quibble with you walking away from it with that. But it also feels like almost more mashy than Animal House. Certainly not Meatballs. Like I w actually went back and watched Meatballs recently and I was like just stunned at how like unfunny and like just a, it was like going to a camp you didn't want to go to. I was just waiting for it to be over. And then at the end, I kind of felt bad about saying goodbye to a few people, like mainly Bill Murray. But it's, you know, what made that work is is almost all the saccharine bits. It's otherwise like there are parts that are just sort of dated and hateful. And there are parts that are just sort of like, well, I'm not really sure why we're here. This, I mean. Well, and like, also if you're not 12 anymore, there are things that like doors close and you can't go back through them. Yeah. With this, it just seems like some of it is meant to be almost like all in media res, just sort of like Altman-esque, we're passing through these things. It doesn't have an huh. edge of commentary to it the way Animal House or MASH did. Like there's no point it's really trying to make. So all the the nasty bits that you wish weren't there undermine the few bits of charm that are left. And so you're, mm. you're left over with this more, not necessarily overwhelming, but definitely strong negative. But I mean, there were still bits that I was like, I was watching that and I was like, that's funny. And, I, and the one cop that actually occurred to me about halfway through was if you ran this with a continuous soundtrack like can't hardly wait 
it would feel a lot like can't hardly wait. Like the guy who's masturbating wherever he is, he's in a locker and the locker is just vibrating because he's beating off so rigorously in it. Like that reminded me of, of the background characters in can't hardly wait. And specifically one that wound up being cut where they were just going to have a crying girl. Right. Like at the party where like every time you found her, she would just be weeping in some other way because she's too drunk and something's gone wrong. And it had that sort of like, you know, just this constant like barrage of different archetypes colliding that you do get when you go to a camp and that a mash like movie or can't hardly wait to do like the completely lighthearted version of it does really well. And I couldn't really figure out how they could have done it. Maybe a soundtrack would have helped. I mean, obviously, like, take out the rape. You know, the panty raid scene with Dennis Quaid ends with him holding a grenade and screaming threats at all the women whose room has just been broken into. And Well, but, like, the character's name is Mad Grossman. But, yeah. like, it's zany. Like, he has access to military-grade explosives. This shit is not fun. No one is wearing a bra. This is not going to end well. It's just not. <laughs> But like, you know, if you took that out, like the sex bet, which just seemed like really offensive, like there, there were little bits where I was like, well, as it, it also was happening, makes I was no laughing. Sense. Actually, I have a clip for the sex bet, which, first of all, the movie thinks that Evie, this is Fran Drescher, is a grimy hoe. I think she's awesome in the Katie of Wet Hot American Summer mold. Uh, let's hear the terms of this sex bet, which don't understand either sex or betting. I can ball anyone I want, anytime I want. Well, big deal. So can we. Ha! Like hell. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I bet you can't. Yeah, we bet you can't. I'll take that bet. 50 bucks, name a name. 50 bucks? 50 bucks, name a name. All right, you're on. Let me see here. Come on. Tough luck, Lucretia Borgia. You got to handle Rabbi Blowitz. <laughs> I'll take the rabbi, and I'll make it real easy on you boys. I won't name Vicky. You two have big nurse Bertha. Ha! Creepos! Okay, leaving aside the um, pitiability of this particular line reading, she's not mm-hmm. this bad in the whole movie, but weren't you just in Saturday Night Fever? You were fine in that. Is, is this another soundtrack issue? I have n- never heard of a sex bet, fictional or real, in which the terms worked in this way. There's so many ways to not win. Like, I don't know. Well, this is more of like a sex dare. And also like, you know, you're challenging her to bone the man of God. But like, do we know that Blowitz is married? He's not a Catholic priest. Even if he Mm -hmm. were, we all live in the world. But then her challenge to them is that they have to sleep with the camp nurse which is apparently a terrifying prospect because she her BMI is slightly over 25. Like, I don't, I don't get it. And then apparently they have to sleep with her at the same time. Uh, yeah, and I wasn't it, aware of that. Yeah, well, that seemed to be a needless addition. Because they're both wrestling with her for a week in a fucking hat. That scene is interminable. Yep. Uh, I mean, a bunch of them are. And a big problem with this movie is like, when a joke doesn't hit, which is 98.5% of the time, you're stuck with it for like a month it just goes on i don't know as if that bet is necessarily at fran drescher's expense that much like it does seem to be underlining somewhat that like she is playing the game just like a man and it underlines i think the fact that you know they spend the whole summer trying to score and they don't the only time they do score is when she's she just says like you know what i'm fine let's go 
Let's go roll. Yeah. And it's just not emphasized enough. And that's another thing where like, I think Wet Hot was like, all right, well, let's just, let's take that and make it a little more obvious because that's where this movie failed tonally. Well, yeah. I mean, this scene is actually not a great example of the movie, but the movie also can't, like, it doesn't have the courage of its scabrous convictions either. Mm -hmm. The scene with the nurse does turn into this wrestling match that has no ear for itself and goes on for too long. The food fight is not funny. These are supposed to be waiters at this camp. It, It seems to be unable to decide whether it's a camp like in Dirty Dancing or mm. a camp like in meatballs and then <laughs> you have a bunch of actors playing waiters and they still suck at it Where, <laughs> where'd you cast this from <laughs> like for real i just don't understand why this was set where it was set i think actually with a couple of tweaks to the setting it would have been less It just felt like it was assembled via instructions that have been translated from another language. And this is not to forgive it any of the rapiness, which starts immediately and never really stops. The fact that the rapiness is inept also does not forgive the rapiness. But there's just something about this that is like people from outer space saw Meatballs 3 and will now attempt to replicate the experience using classical music that was available with no rights clearance fees. It wouldn't surprise me if this was a script that had been lying around and then they changed the setting. I mean, it does something kind of universally nostalgic about being somewhere between 8th and 12th grade. I don't know. I mean, I didn't go to a camp like this, but for me growing up in America, like the concept of a camp like this was just sort of like a a universally understood institution. Yeah, Everyone I think must there have is gone. a collective unconscious aspect to that. I think you're right. And, and like, and it's it's one that doesn't really make sense. Like, why would all these parents in America spend all this money to send their children to places that are just like that terrifyingly unsanitary and unpleasant to live in? Like with, you know, this these fetid urinals and barely any doors or like, you know, blockage between you and the the rest of the uh, the bathroom when you're going number two and and just these absolutely filthy kitchens like they weren't all like that and yet this archetype persists and as a stab at it like it is i mean there are more joke they don't land like a lot of them just don't but like there are more joke attempts and there's something more kinetic about this than than anything and like with the exception of wet hot which again i like i really feel about two-thirds of that movie is just lifted from this like a bunch of guys from you know a bunch of jewish writers and comedians from the northeast watching a movie about a Jewish summer camp right around the time when they would have been like 10 or so, you know, like I just really feel like it made a huge impression. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's an when interesting, it was on like late night on, it was like the last movie before they played the anthem and then the station actually ended, which yeah. used to happen. There's also, <laughs> it wouldn't be the turn of the seventies and eighties without uh, drive-by about beautiful New York City. Here's clip two. Well, the Macchio, what do you think? What do I think? I think all this fresh air is going to give me a rash. I don't trust air I can't see. I need that Brooklyn scent. The smell of snatch in the air. Too quiet around here. I mean, this guy. I don't think this guy ever really did anything else. 
Mm -hmm. but it's like this is the most new york person on the premises (laughs) at any given time bathroom stall guy looks like maybe he could be from scarsdale rosanna arquette is supposed to be from scarsdale i wish she had more to do she is just happy to be there (laughs) happy to be there and still with her clothes on i think is probably like a score (laughs) yeah and she's pretty good like comparatively she's pretty good like there's no horrible horrible line readings um yeah this just seems really cynical to me and gross and even grading on a curve like i'm i'm glad that you found some kinetic things to like in it but i just felt hollered at with like bud light vomit breath yeah for an hour and a half I'm finding redeeming bits. I'm not saying this is a good movie. I'm not saying I would recommend it. Although, like, if you were one of the people who is like a a kind of the state and its alumni hater, if you if you need some haterade, I would highly recommend watching this because like Wet Hot is probably the best thing that those guys have done. And this and knowledge of this represents like it just a complete frontal assault on it. But um <laughs> but I will say, like just really quickly, I want like there were a couple things, like the Rosanna Arquette bit where her rich family comes and her boyfriend who is Puerto Rican just does like he's like, Oh, well, I think I need to turn the Puerto Rican to eleven. Like that was actually pretty good. And it's entirely at the expense of the people who at whose expense it should be. Right? Like it's the intolerant rich person who's who's basically decided that like this ghettoized person isn't as good as me, the one who got out of it. There's right. a bit where like there are two teen boys in underwear chasing a whole bunch of nuns out the flung open doors of a church. Like that's a funny bit. That and then the um one of the pairs, the non-redhead half of the pair, has just been asking <laughs> it's this very sort of susy moment where he's like, Are you my mother? Like, are you a hooker? Are you yeah. a hooker? <laughs> Which is how they, you know, he at first asks it in a the Blue Oyster biker bar. Do we think that that's a predecessor to the Blue Oyster bar in Police Academy? I think it has to be. Yeah, I think that's got to be a nod. I was watching that. It's like, so you go from biker bar to leather gay biker bar. No, I think these are all kind of descendants of, e- of each other. I'm just saying, like... Gorp casts a long shadow, longer than we would have thought. And the reason why we didn't think of that is because it probably wasn't distributed for like 30 years. If it had I, been in video stores like Meatballs, we would have been like, whoa, wait a minute. Like who, how many things were, were lifted from this? Yeah, I do wonder because I don't think I ever saw this like even in passing, like in the late night listings. And apparently the production company folded. This was their last movie. For next American to last. international pictures, hard to believe, but um, but um, yeah. yeah, I think that secretly, this was formative, and I I think that there's also someone, not us, should do a like family tree or like DNA tree of Animal House and Meatballs and Stripes and Gorp and King Frat and Porky's Revenge of the Nerds. There's something about Mary, like the gross out comedy or the frat farce continues. It's just a little different. And it a lot of it really is that wet hot American summer thing where it's like 88 minutes, you say. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, if you have intel on this, let us know. There will be a piece in the show notes by Peter Howell 
about the long shadow cast by Animal House and how many of its descendants didn't understand what made it great. I think that's one of those things like Catcher in the Rye, where if you come to it too late, you won't understand what made it great either. Mm -hmm. Let us move on. Oh, wait, we still have to give our scores for the movie. Qua movie. Got to rate this turkey. You first. (laughs) Gorp liker. (laughs) We brought up Animal House a bunch in this, and like, uh, you know, it was one of those movies that was on streaming right after our current president was elected. And I was watching a lot of streaming movies to make myself feel better and just sort of like punch out from reality for a uh-huh. while. Sure. And it was also one of those movies that didn't let me do it because, for whatever reason, this was the first time I had watched it with woke eyes, I guess. Like, even though, you know, I, you know, feel like I, I got a good education in like anti racism and feminism, et cetera, but like, there are certain totemic things that you witness as a child or experience as a child and you sort of import all the the values with which you first experienced it to the rest of your life, right? Yeah. You kind of carry it no, with no, you. No, no, totally. And I'm watching it and like, and I knew implicitly like the fact that like, there's a whole series of jokes about like, well, look at how hostile all black people are and like, isn't it scary when they want to have sex with our dates? You know, it just all of it kind of came through and- This movie, like, I think without that, you know, without that awareness could have ranked quite a bit higher because it's trying more. And I think it hits more than like something like Meatballs, which is mainly sweet. But with the modern eyes, like you can't, I don't think you go any higher than like a three. That's like the most generous you could be to it. And it's simply because like it's trying a lot. And these are like, I think, valid archetypes if you've ever been a meatheaded little middle school boy. I do find your arguments in its favor compelling. I don't think it's mean about the ways in which it's problematic. I just think it thinks this is how you make this kind of movie. But this was like an aurally unpleasant thing to sit through. And there were like little glimmers of things that were interesting your feeling, which I don't dispute, that Wet Hot American Summer borrowed that heavily from this in particular, does not burnish this, but rather leaves a little smear of shit on the pant leg of <laughs> Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, I like it's a one. This is this is bad. Fair. I mean, like, I don't know. In in a different mood, I might go lower. I don't know. Yeah, I I thought about going lower. Like, I don't necessarily want to bag on movies that are already bad for also being problematic. Like, never mind bad in quality. This is like evil. I don't think it's. I don't think it's evil. I just think it doesn't need to. Like, we made a mistake reminding everyone that it existed. Maybe. Also, I wonder if there isn't a sort of like. Um, gendered receptor for this stuff not that it's about the boobs or that like you don't care about the rapey like obviously you do and you acknowledge that it's bad and i'm not (laughs) clearly not unable to find fart humor funny ask anyone who has known me for 12 seconds Mm. but i just wonder if there's like some level on which i'm just gonna go into this and be like this will not be for me and therefore it isn't it may just be that all of these people are avatars of things that I either felt I was at one point or was afraid I might be. So there is something more personalized about the experience of like, yeah, the, there was that guy who had like a almost staggeringly like anthropological approach to the sexuality of every single woman 
around yeah. you. And I didn't like him then, and I thought it was trying and uh, and probably a pose. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't pleasant, but it is sort of funny to watch that because, like, that guy exists. As yeah, much of a drag as true. he is, like, you know, so many of these people are real. And, like, maybe it's going to school in the South, but, like, the kid who's always telling you about how many different arms his dad has... Yeah, that's that's also somebody real. He had a weapon at an age that was not appropriate. Yeah. Maybe it's also the fact that, like, whether this succeeds or not in doing this, these are archetypes and they are, I think, intended mostly as such. Like, two dimensions would be probably past what they were shooting for with any one of mm. these characters. This is about, like, ensemble plot and throwing mashed potatoes around for 20 minutes. Fine. But at least the dudes get that. The women are just yeah. targets, and the less the front porch has been affected by gravity, the better. And that's kind <laughs> of oh, all you're yeah. getting. Arquette does give this character some zing, somehow. But that's like absolutely in spite of anything that would, which was intended, which was nothing. And while I'm up, I want to double back to the fact that MASH, the movie, and Meatballs sort of ended up in the same conversation and say justice for Sally Kellerman characters. She just she just gets used so badly. Right. <laughs> in MASH. It's it's really too bad. I think that may be why Dresher's character packs as much zing as she does, because she's the only person who isn't an object. I mean, the first time we meet her, these two meatheads are just crawling all over each other to get at the fresh meat. And yeah, she's sitting and there she's going like, like, hello, I'll do you right now. And they're like, whatever. Like, Which, I fuck. I fuck. And they're too chicken shit to do anything about it. It's only later in private where she's like, do you want to go? Then they, they try it. But it's almost like when confronted with their own shtick coming back at them, they're just like overwhelmed by it. Like, I, it's not my job to be a victim to this. I, I give this out. Yeah. And I'm like definitely reading way too much in this, but like that that is the one sort of leavening moment of that whole approach to the the female CITs. Yeah. My god. Well, and then there's the fact that all these people are 30. <laughs> yeah. Are supposed to be 15. It's something. Also something. This young man named Grossman. The way the movie approaches Grossman is just like, well, he's going to kill at least someone and probably all of us one day. Ha ha. And then they have like a stack of Polaroids and the anthropological approach that you were talking about is in full effect in this scene in which they're like looking over the Polaroids of the counselors in training and then assigning them to various waiters in the dining room. Like that's not how consent works. Yeah. Film. But here's Grossman getting his assignment, who's a solid eight, mostly because she'd look good wearing a bunch of military medals and nothing else. And then I don't think the assignor really understands how intercourse <laughs> works when it comes to gun metaphors. Or perhaps Wazoo just means something different in Western New York. Here's clip four. Solid eight. This is a nice face. This is a nice body and a nice everything right here. Gross. Hey, Gross right, right, over here. Over here. Come over here right now. Stand in attention and check this out. Look, you put a, a uniform on her and you slip some medals down the slope of her boobs. You slip that big howitzer up the wazoo. <laughs> Appomattox. <laughs> 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 
the man's a lunatic. Here's who's a lunatic. Whoever taught you Civil War history at your high school. Yeah. <laughs> do, do we know what happened at Appomattox? Because that's a super upsetting addition to this already terrible metaphor. <laughs> So Qu- Quaid's character is so confusingly written, so I don't know how to take that. Like, ordinarily, that character is very upset about what happened at Appomattox. Yeah. Like, in any other movie, he would be deeply embittered that the wrong side lost at Appomattox, or, like, conceded at Appomattox. Even but though he's, he's supposed to be from, like, I don't even know where. These are all, like, upstate Jewish kids from New York. So, like, he would, I would assume be on the union side, in which case you could say that Lee took it up the wazoo at Appomattox, in which case that's meant to pump him up in a good way. But when I hear somebody shouting Appomattox and getting pumped, I automatically, like, I'm like, that is not somebody who's on my side. Well, or you don't know what you're talking about. Like, did you mean Antietam? Any other Civil War place name? Any other one? There's a bunch. Yeah. Stones River! Like, I don't know. There, Spotsylvania. A, yeah. <laughs> She'll give you Spotsylvania. Ooh. Ditto the uh, confusingly bad list of generals. Um, I think there's like a bunk war going on, and then Mad Bob has some idea about, like, he appears driving a tank, and then during this scene, he's got the, like, bullet belt of machine gun ammunition. That's the clanking that you're about to hear. And they've just told him that whatever this plan is, which I don't understand what it is and who cares. Spoiler, he drives a tank into the side of the bunk, fight over. Has anyone ever read any history or gone to, like, find an encyclopedia, please. I know it's 1980, but there there really aren't excuses for mushing all these generals together. I don't know why this annoyed me this much, given everything else that was going on, like, you know, all the raping. Mm. Here's clip five. Well, they called Hannibal crazy. They didn't. Alexander. Patton. Custer. And now me. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, that is a lot better than being against me. Boys. Mm. But, okay. I, I don't think they actually called Hannibal crazy. Maybe they should have, but I don't think they did. You don't want Custer on any list of anything. Yeah, and he wasn't crazy. He was just arrogant. Yeah. He got told. Yeah. But... The reading of this line, like, I just, in this particular moment, felt for Dennis Quaid so much because I think that who knows in what order he shot all the stuff that was coming out at a Mm -hmm. fairly good clip between end of 78 and beginning of 81. And his approach to this line is utterly... Like, it is as confused as the line itself is. Like, he just seems completely at sea, and he's trying to, like, whatever. I'm married to an actor. I know their ways. He's trying to find the truth mm. here when there is nothing to find. And I, I felt bad for him. That said, this is a very bad line reading. There are multiple bad line readings for him, and I really feel like the director didn't know what he wanted Quaid to do or what the character was supposed to do because I agree. the most winning moments with 
the role are the ones that are the essentially the quadiest, where he's seems to be having fun in spite of the madness and, and people are having fun around him. And then it just sort of does a, a harsh 180 back into this is an absolute maniac who is going to put all of us at risk. And he can't play both of them and have it work. And I think that speaks to like an overall problem with the movie, which is that it doesn't know what kind of slapstick level it wants to operate on. Yeah, agree. Like people fleeing, and it's kind of a scary shot, people fleeing from a tank rolling into the ground floor and seemingly barely escaping. A slapstick where a tank can happen or a slapstick where a methed out totalizing food fight can happen and where, you know, boys in underwear can run in and, and nuns run out like a Benny Hill sketch is different from all the the kind of like teen romp slapstick, which is way more toned down. And then the slapstick of like homicidal madness, like they're all at different levels and nobody's really meeting. And so the moments where you hit the transition are all dissonant, no matter how well somebody's handling it. Well, and he just has all like, he gets off the bus with the same army issue two-way duffel bag everyone else has but as the movie goes along he has at least three different full costumes including large hats there's a horse on the second floor and i kept thinking like the aspca wasn't anywhere near this shit were they that horse looks fucking terrified that's two weeks in a row give us a break quaint in full no more right. animals there was also a terrified baby pig in one scene in which they like filled the camp director's room with livestock which had moments before been mooing and clucking and oinking and somehow stayed totally silent and they woke up in the oh this movie it's so frustrating like even the dumb pro forma set pieces aren't done correctly like if you're gonna do the set piece do the set piece but as the tank is rolling into the bunk you're like oh Everything was driving towards that, and all the attention was focused on that. And I don't think there was any room to give Dennis Quaid any notes on his performance. I think they were just like, here's a rail. Here's another half. Bigger. Here's a bomb we made out of shit from Joanne Crafts. Bigger. Yeah, I mean, those moments where they somebody clearly has bought a prefab like tarp that has been professionally illustrated and they can unroll it at the drop of a hat, like that slapstick, if it had gone all the way through the movie, would have neutralized the unpleasantness of his being a homicidal maniac yeah. and would have made a tank seem completely practical. But that only pops up for the payoff for a couple of gags and the rest isn't as frenetic or as implausible. Like, I don't mind if you want to have... These kids at a day camp have the same access to building, drag racing, flying, and detonating materials as Wiley e. Coyote. Just have them have that access all the time. Yeah. Well, and here's another place where you get the feeling that Wet Hot American Summer lifted this. Like the, um, they go from the end of summer talent show where this guy has like basically shot an arrow through a thunderstorm and is drawing all this like has drawn a windstorm in through the tent as his talent that's the level that you're dealing with with some of these gags that it's like it's like shit you would see on the monkeys this is a prefab group that according to the to the monkey verse has to take all these weird odd jobs first of all to create plot and second of all to eat 
but then they have unlimited costumes. Yeah. Like Quaid can just show up and he's like Napoleon Bonaparte on a horse. And you're like, sure. Yeah. Then there's like a football thing. And then he has different sets of fatigues. There's like the lighter fatigues, the darker fatigues, the camo fatigues. Like if he, if they had busted out the desert storm ones, I was like, okay, like, I'm not sure what you're doing, but maybe you actually are trying to do something. But yeah, that's a really good point that it's like, not only, not only are the farce like set pieces not working, but like there's, there's too many different kinds. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't believe how much time we have actually spent talking about this. I knew we were going to go over. I knew Fuck. it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Literally everyone. Um, all right. So how, how quaid is this shit? What's our quaid qua quaid quotient? I think this is another one that fundamentally misunderstands like elemental quaid. <laughs> yeah. Like, quaid is not slapstick. He can temporarily do some slapstick, but he can't fundamentally be a figure of slapstick, I think. And he can't be a figure of mockery, like, unless he's in on the gag. And there's, there are bits where he's bringing the trays to the table and all the kids just, like, torment him over. It's like a recurring gag. Yeah. And when it seems like he's playing along, they all win. And when it seems like it's just sort of at his expense, it doesn't work. Like, they just fail. He needs to be winking with it. Like, he can't be a force of, he can't be, like, purposeless malevolence. Like, he's just sort of homicidal and that's that. And because it has all of those in like inconsistent amounts, it's not good Quaid. The best moments of his role, besides his bottom, which I'm kind of like, I'll be honest, I'm surprised you didn't sink your teeth more into discussion wise. Um, the best moments are the moments where like the Quaidness just triumphs over the material and he undermines the menace with the charm. Yeah. And then it seems like, well, that's why you would want to go back to this every year and hang out, even though this guy is going to be there. As opposed to picking another camp where maybe there isn't a homicidal maniac. I, I realized I didn't do a number. Around the same as the movie, I'd say like a three. Okay. That's about where I am. I mean, the butt is fine, but the literal presentation of the butt is not maybe my favorite. Like, I don't... Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a crevice narrative that I was okay without. That's fine. Um, <laughs> it's better than nothing, I guess. We'll get back into this when we get to the right stuff and like enema sprints, I guess. Yeah. Am I remembering that correctly? There's like a power waddle. Yes. <laughs> um, he doesn't look particularly good here. And he looks like there are moments where he undermines the material, but there are also moments where the material swamps him and he looks confused and a little afraid. Mm-hmm. And that is not something that you want to see, even though it's early Quaid. And you can grade on something of a curve for like neither he nor casting directors really having locked onto a lane. Quaidiness is not wacky. It can be near wackiness. You're right. But it's not wacky. And it's not pathological either. Mm-hmm. And it's like not particularly farcical. So yeah, this is a, and he doesn't look great. He doesn't look great. He looks a little Coke pasty, in my opinion. Triceps look all right. But yeah, this isn't all that quaity too. <laughs> Triceps look all right. Well, <laughs> we're, we're only two episodes in. You can dive out of this boat if you want. <laughs> Like, of all the things to pick, it's like, well, his deltoids look terrific. Well, <laughs> look. 
literal grasping at straws. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> with my hands. Uh, do you have any parting thoughts on GORP? Okay, just two things I would I would want to go out on. One, after they dumped all the live animals into the evil camp owner's uh, house, who uh-huh. the guy played by David Huddleston, I just thought, you know, strong men also cry, Mr. Lebowski. Strong <laughs> men also cry. And then just another note on the long shadow, there is a perm-headed, tight-pants flunky named uh, Fetterman. And that really kind of felt like, okay, maybe that's maybe that's a little Randy from Trailer Park Boys. They they made him bigger and they took his shirt off. But otherwise, the whole vibe is right there. For whatever reason, he reminded me of the actor who, and the name is escaping me right now, played um, Little Don Segretti in All the President's Men. Yeah. yeah. I was just getting that like little man, big collar vibe. <laughs> Not as toothy as as Don. No. You want some coffee? Yeah. I love that guy. I love that movie. I'm going to go watch that non-farcical, non-rapey movie and just cleanse the old palate. Because, um, spoiler, the next episode, I, I really don't think matters are going to improve. So... Next time on Clayton Full father-son competition for Barbara Streisand, as you do, and band leader work drums. Sure? That's all in, all night long. Let's hope it doesn't feel that way. In the meantime, you can check out the show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at QuaidInFullPod. If you're wondering when your favorite Quaid joint is getting covered or you want to advertise on a specific film or TV show's episode, our DMs are open. Quaid in Full is hosted and edited by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? You're a lunatic! Go wherever you get your podcast and sign up. And rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.